Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. I am so thankful for uh, Pastor John last week closing out our series in 1 Timothy. We're going to take two weeks off and just kind of talk about who we are here at the Point Church in Alberta. And then we're going to start up in 2 Timothy in just a couple of weeks. But for today, Matthew chapter 19, if you don't have a Bible, grab one of the hardback black Bibles from under your chair. And if you're using one of those, you're going to want to turn to page 824. Today, we are celebrating the fourth birthday of the Point Church, Alberta. I told you earlier that the Point Church started back in September, on the 17th of September in 2017, and it started by meeting over in the cafeteria at the high school. And as we think about all that's happened over the last four years, I I really do stand amazed at what God has done. When you think about the fact that the Point Church started here in Alberta, it started by meeting in the high school, setting up and tearing down every single week. It was a small cadre of of believers who wanted to live on mission in Alberta for Jesus. And so this group that started with just 30 or 40 in the core team, and, and pretty soon it grew to 50, and then 60, and then 80, and then 100. When you think about the fact that God gave us a temporary place to rent down the street where it was was a little bit more permanent, but it was temporary. And and he put us there. And in putting us there, he was able to bring two churches, First Baptist and Point Church together to form one healthy and thriving church right here in the heart of Alberta. Like when you think about all that's happened, I can't help but think, man, God has been at work. And so today, as we celebrate the fourth birthday of the Point Church, we are going to celebrate. We really are. It's going to be great. Tonight, it's it's a birthday party. I want y'all to come. Even if this is your first time here, come tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to celebrate. There's going to be birthday cake. Lena made it, so you know it's going to be good, right? So we're going to have some great cake. Bring your favorite, like, tailgating side. We're going we're gonna to eat good food. We're going to play games. We're going to have fun. We're going to celebrate because birthdays, anniversaries are a day to celebrate. But they're also something else. You see, on birthdays and anniversaries, we also get a day to reflect, And so as we reflect today, we're going to look back and we're going to kind of assess ourselves. This is something we all do, whether we confess it or not. Like men in particular are are really famous for this. You know, you get to about your 40s, right about where I am in life. and, and, And all of a sudden, we even have a name for it. It's so common that we reflect, right? We call it the midlife crisis, right? Like a guy gets to his mid-40s and he starts looking back at where he's been, on, on where he's at now, on where he's headed, and, and, and often he'll make some decisions that are a little bit questionable, right? Like, like it's gotten to the point where it's kind of a joke. Like you see a, a dude in his 40s, kind of chubby, bald, maybe like me, driving a Corvette. You think midlife crisis, am I right? It's like that's what we think, but it doesn't have to be that way. You see, that happens when someone is, is looking back when they're reflecting, but their lens is off, when their perspective is wrong. If we were to look back, if we were to reflect and make an assessment with the right lens, with the right perspective, we can, it can be a good thing. We can celebrate where we've been, but we can also look at, and maybe we can make some changes that will make us better. We can reflect and have the right perspective. We can reflect and and have the right lenses on. And today we're going to do that. We're going to look to scripture and we're going to reflect and grow. We're going to make some positive changes. 
So today we're going to look at scripture and we're going to have the right lenses. And as we do, I'm going to ask you the question, who are you following? Who are you following? That's my question for you today. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22, tell the story uh, that, that is recorded in all three synoptic gospels. It's right here in Matthew chapter 19, but it's also over in Mark chapter 10. It's in Luke chapter 18. This is the account that's often referred to as the story of the rich young man, or, or maybe the story of the rich young ruler, depending on which gospel you're looking at. But as we look at this, we're going to see something that happened in Jesus's ministry where Jesus is going to confront this young man and his heart, what's going on in his heart, but he's also going to be confronting each of us. So let's get right to this. Matthew chapter 19. We're going to start at verse 16. We're going to take it to verse 22. This is the word of the Lord. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possession. Elsewhere in the scripture, we read that the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at this very well-known account of a young man who had everything and came to you as you walked on earth. Lord, I ask that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would speak to us as we reflect and we celebrate all that you've been at work at here in Alberta. We praise you for that. But as we reflect, God, we ask that you would lead us to treasure you more than anything else in the world. Be our greatest treasure, our greatest joy, God. Enable us to follow you as we live life being your disciples. God, help us to be serious about the mission that you've given us to be disciples who make disciples. Do a work in our hearts today, God. God, we ask that if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, we ask that today would be the day where you would do a miracle, where you would change a heart of stone to a heart of flesh where you would lead someone from sin into repentance so that they can know the joy and freedom that is available only in you. God, we're going to ask that you do these things today, knowing that you are able to do it. We trust you in that. It's in your beautiful, precious, glorious name that we pray. Amen. So I want to ask you the question today, who are you following? Who are you following one of the unique characteristics of flying tactical aircraft is that we almost never fly by ourselves. When we fly fighter jets, we always fly with a wingman and, and usually with multiple wingmen. Like, like there'll be either a section of two or we might have three or four. And when you fly, you always fly in formation. Now, there are various formations that we can fly in. You can fly with a, a bit of distance between you in ATC or, or combat spread. Uh, you, you can uh, be in radar trail or, or in line abreast. There, there are some spread out formations that you can fly, but we can also fly much closer together. 
We can fly in, in close proximity in echelon or fingertip formations in loose cruise or, or parade where we suck it into to about six inches between aircraft. But regardless of proximity, when we're flying in formation, you're, you're always following someone else. And you might be tempted to think that when you're flying in formation that, that everyone is flying off of the lead, that everybody is looking at the flight lead, but that's not how we fly formation. You, you actually fly formation based on the aircraft that's closest to you. So for example, when we bring a division of four aircraft back to the boat during the day, we'll bring that, that division into the stack overhead mom and we'll be circling around and we'll be flying in fingertip formation, fairly loose cruise. So a fingertip formation is literally like the tips of your finger. That's how we're, we're aligned. And as we get ready to commence our approach, we'll transition from fingertip to an echelon and, and an echelon is just that. It just kind of goes down at an angle, right? And as we're, we're flying, we'll, we'll still be spread out a little bit. But as we come overhead the ship, we'll tighten that echelon formation all the way down to a parade formation where, we're, where each wingtip is within about 6 to 12 inches of the wingtip next to it. And, and as we do that, everyone is looking somewhere else. The flight lead is looking forward. He's leading the flight. He's looking outside. Dash two is looking at the lead. Dash three is looking at dash two. And dash four is looking at dash three. That's how we're able to fly these really tight formations together. The, the Blue Angels use the exact same uh, philosophy of flight when they're flying all of the formations that they fly. I'm sure you guys have all seen them flying. Everybody is looking at someone else. But there's a drawback to this. You see, if, if one person is out of position, if, say dash two in that echelon formation, if he's sucked, that means he's, he's kind of further back on the lead than he should be. If he's sucked, that means that dash three and dash four will be out of position as well. Who you look at matters. If everyone is not following perfect, the whole formation's gonna look bad, which is why who you look at matters. And it's just as true in our lives. It matters who we're following. And there's a universal principle when we're talking about living, a, living our lives that, that I want you to keep in mind today as we look at this text. And that's that you will follow who you treasure. You will follow what you treasure. And that's going to lead us into this. We're going to see that at play here in Matthew chapter 19. Starting at verse 16, Matthew records, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, at first glance, this looks like he's asking the right question, doesn't it? Like it looks like he's asking a good question, but he's not. He's missed something huge. He's asking, what good deed must I do? Translation, how do I earn this? You see, this guy was operating on the assumption that eternal life is found in what we must do rather than in a relationship that we must have. And if I'm being honest, I think a lot of us down here in the Bible Belt, we're, we're operating like that. Here in the Bible Belt, that's how we're operating. Just like this young man, we want to have eternal life. And that's a good thing. It's a good desire that he has. There, there's nothing in the text here as we're looking at this that indicates that this man's desire was insincere. And there's nothing in the text that condemns him for having this desire. The problem is how we get there. The problem is how he is trying to get there because he, he like us, he, he thinks we get there by how we act. Here in the Bible Belt, what that means is that we join a church, that we show up at church every now and then. It means that we pray before we eat our food. It means we pray with our kids before we put them to bed. 
It means all of those things. And in our mind, we take those things and we decide that, that if we do these things, somehow we're going to be good to go. Somehow that's going to earn us entry into heaven. We look, at, we look for action steps that we need to take rather than a relationship we need to have. And what's going on here with this man, that, that it's the exact same thing. He comes to Jesus and he calls him teacher. And that's important for us to notice because he doesn't call him rabbi. A rabbi has disciples. A rabbi has people who follow him. This man sees Jesus and they sees him as a teacher with some good wisdom about religion, but he's not ready to follow him. He's looking for an action step that he needs to take. That's why he asks, what good deed must I do in order to earn eternal life? In order to gain which that, that which we know he cannot gain on his own. So Jesus is going to address that. He's going to change his focus. Look at how Jesus responds. Starting in verse 17, Matthew records, and he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. Now let's stop right there. Do you see what Jesus is doing right there? Jesus is changing his focus. This man is talking about good things and Jesus is pointing him to the one who is good, to God himself. This is one of the chief problems that we as finite sinful creatures have. And that's everything that we do. Every good thing we do is measured in comparison to the one who is good. And that's God himself. And what we find as we look at that is that in comparison to God, everything that we have to offer, the Bible says, is rubbish. It's filthy rags. This dude is looking to himself and Jesus is telling him, hey, bro, no, no, you need to look to God. He's the one who is good. We have it in our heads that somehow we can be good enough forgetting that even our best is never going to be good enough compared to God and his holiness and his righteousness and his goodness. And to make that clear, Jesus gives this Jewish man who the other gospel accounts tell us was a ruler. He gives this Jewish man the Jewish answer. Take a look at the second half of verse 17. Here Jesus says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. That's the Jewish answer right there. Like, keep the commandments. But, but what quickly becomes apparent as we study the Old Testament, as we read through the Mosaic laws, we lead through the history of Israel, is that we can't do that. We can't keep those commandments. We can try and try and try, but we, we're never able to succeed in that. There are 613 commands in the Mosaic law, and we can't, we can't keep them all. We can't even keep track of them all. And so it makes sense that the man replied by asking in verse 18, hey, which ones? Like, I don't know, which ones? But look how Jesus responds. Verses 18 and 19, he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus points to the original 10 commandments specifically to commandments five through nine, which have all to do, all of it has to do with how we treat other people. And then he tags on Leviticus 19.18, which really is just a summary of those five commands. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you treat people? You love them. That's what Jesus says. 
That's the Jewish answer. But that didn't work for this guy. It didn't work. And, and now we come to the heart of the matter because this young guy, he's been doing this for a while. Look, look at how he responds in verse 20. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And there's two things I want you to note about that question right there that he asks, how he responds. The first is that in the other two gospel accounts of this, there's a detail that's left out of this one here in Matthew. And that's that when he responds to Jesus, he says, all these I have kept from my youth. This guy's been doing it for his whole life. His whole life, he's been striving for righteousness by doing things for himself for his whole life. That's the first thing to notice. But, but the second is that this guy knows it isn't working. Can you sense the exasperation in his voice as he's asking Jesus, what do I still lack? I've been trying to do it. I've been trying to follow the command to the best of my ability. What do I lack? He's been trying to be holy his whole life in order to earn salvation, in order to earn eternal life for himself. And what he's finding is that somehow, even though he doesn't really understand why, somehow he's missing out on something. Something's missing right there. And if we're being honest, we can confess that that's what Bible Belt Christianity buys you. Right? We, we can come to church and we can play the game. We can strive and strive and think we're getting close. We can follow all the rules that we create for ourselves. We can even feel like we're doing it for a while, like we're succeeding. But if that's all that's going on, if that's all that you're doing, eventually you begin to sense, like this young man in the text, you begin to sense that something's missing. Something's not right here. And you land right where this young man is at. I've been doing this my whole life and I know I don't have it right. What do I do now? Verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect. Now, really quick, we need to understand that that word perfect there in the Greek is teleos. It means mature, full grown, complete. This guy has been trying to be complete on his own and he just can't get there. He cannot achieve the wholeness on his own. That's what he's realized. And so Jesus is giving him the answer. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, if you would be complete, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, at first glance, as we look at that, that looks to me like just another rule for us to follow. That's another action step that he needs to take in order to earn eternal life. At first glance, that can almost look like Jesus is saying, you can buy your salvation. But that's not. There's something much deeper going on right here. A few minutes ago, we saw Jesus pointing to the commandments that have to do with how we treat one another, how we treat other people, and then summarizing it by, by adding on Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if we want to understand what Jesus is getting at right here, it's helpful for us to remember that this isn't the only place that Jesus has quoted Leviticus 19.18. If we were to fast forward a couple of chapters over to chapter 22 right here in Matthew, we'd see he quotes it again. Jesus is out teaching and some Pharisees come up to him and, and they're trying to trap him. One of the lawyers comes up and he says, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, 
Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now take that and let's come back to chapter 19. Jesus has just told this young man to sell everything that he owns and give it to the poor and come follow me. What's going on here? What's happening here? Jesus is pointing to the chief problem that this young man had. And that's that he had forgotten about the other five commandments. He had five of them figured out, but he'd forgotten about the other five. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not set up and worship an idol. You shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. Honor the Sabbath. You shall not covet, which by the way, Colossians 3.5 tells us is idolatry. This guy thought he had mastered the law, but he had forgotten the most important part. He had forgotten about Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus was showing this guy that his wealth, his riches, they were an idol that he was serving. They were his God. And what Jesus is telling this young man is to destroy that God. Like that's a little G God. And he's saying, get rid of it. Kill that God. Kill that idol. Sell everything that you have. Give to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Learn from me. You will follow what you treasure. So put your treasure where it counts. That's what Jesus is saying to us right here. Prioritize following Jesus. Put to death anything and everything that gets in the way of following Jesus. Stop playing the games. Stop playing around trying to live the rules and start following Jesus. Where you know Jesus, where you interact with Jesus. Give up everything and anything that gets in the way of following Christ. That's how you can walk into life. By actually following Christ. By actually having a relationship with Christ. We learned this as we were studying all throughout 1 Timothy. Godliness is not about the things that we do. It's not about the the rules that we are able to follow as we check off the list. Godliness is about a relationship that we have. And we find that relationship as we follow Christ. But so many of us are willing to just sit back and take Jesus on our terms. Jesus when he's convenient for us. We think we can follow Jesus like he's a part-time gig. But what Jesus was telling this young man is that it's going to take everything that you've got to follow me. If you want eternal life, if you want to be complete, then you've got to put everything aside and go follow Jesus. But that cost was too great for this guy. Look at verse 22. Matthew tells us when the young man heard this, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. If we're going to do this thing for real, if we're going to actually be Christians, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, there's going to be sacrifice involved. Following Jesus means sacrifice. It's easy for you to say, Josh. 
But how do we make that real for us? What's all of that mean for us? I think we can, I think we can find the answer if we ask the question, what's getting in the way of me following Jesus? What's getting in the way of you following Jesus? Because if I can be blunt, the answer to that question might mean that for some of us, we need to get rid of Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and Amazon Prime and whatever it is we're watching that's consuming us, that's getting in the way of us following Jesus. For some of us, that might mean that you need to get rid of youth sports or travel ball or, or college football. For some of us, that might mean we need to get rid of our boat or our RV. For some of us, that might mean that we need to get rid of Facebook and Instagram or, or stop following politics altogether because all of that, it's getting in the way of us following Jesus. For some of us, it might mean that we need to quit our jobs because it's getting in the way of following Jesus. What do you treasure more than Christ? What do you treasure? I, I'm, I'm serious. Ask yourself that question and answer it honestly. Like, don't give yourself a pass. Don't give me the Sunday morning church answer. What do you treasure more than Christ? What's more important to you than Jesus? Because it's gonna take everything that we've got. What do I need to do? What's getting in the way of me following Christ? Because if anything, anything at all, big or small, is getting in the way of me following Jesus, it's not worth it. That's what Jesus is showing us right here. And listen, I can't tell you what it's going to be for every single one of you. That's something you've got to like ask the Lord to show you. But what we're seeing here is a call to put to death anything and everything that's getting in the way of us following Jesus. Anything that we might treasure more than Christ. For that young man, it was his wealth. He was, he was looking for something to do. He was looking for an action step to take. He loved his wealth too much. And as this man rejected Jesus and walked away, he became like a living example of what Jesus had just said not long before at the Sermon on the Mount. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You will follow what you treasure. So my question for you today is, do you treasure Jesus? Do you treasure him? Because when Jesus is your treasure, you're going to want to follow Jesus even when he makes big requests. Listen, I understand the request that Jesus made of that young man. That was huge. Like we can read this and think, oh, that's no big deal. He just told him something. Think of, like put it into our context. The, the Bible says he had great possessions. Translation, the dude was loaded. He had it all. He had the house, he had the cars, he had all of the fancy expensive toys, probably went to, to synagogue in a helicopter every Sunday, right? Like, like dude had it all and Jesus is coming to him and he's saying, take all of it, sell it all, give the proceeds to the poor, come follow me, learn from me, be my disciple. He's saying, go home, have an estate sale, sell everything, keep nothing. And then when all that's done, sell the house too. Give away the money. 
Come follow me. That's what Jesus asked him. That's a, a big ask. He's asking a lot. Trade your wealth for your poverty and follow me. Jesus asks a lot of us. That request was huge. But I need you to listen to me on this one. Like, like is everybody paying attention? Look up at me. Look at eye contact. Okay? You need to get this. This is like the mic drop moment as I was studying this. That's what Jesus did. He gave up everything for us. He traded his wealth for poverty. Philippians chapter two, verses six through eight tell us that even though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. He put on flesh. He became a human being, being born in the likeness of men. And, and by being born or being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what Jesus did. Jesus is God. Like he's God in heaven. And he leaves the splendor and majesty of heaven. He leaves the riches of heaven to come and live with us. He, he gave it all up to live on earth. He put on flesh. He lived as a poor carpenter. He didn't show up in a palace. He could have. That's what he left. He didn't have a place to call his own. He suffered humiliation and rejection. His best friends betrayed him. He was treated like a criminal, even though he'd done nothing wrong. He, he was run through this mock trial, found guilty, hauled out, beaten to the point of near death, and then hauled out to the, to the edge of town and put up on a cross to die. It was death by torture. God did that for us. Think about what Jesus gave up. And he did it in order to reconcile you to himself. For our sake, God, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He was innocent that we might become the righteousness of God. So yes, Jesus is going to make some pretty big demands on our lives. But he only does that after he met an even bigger demand for our lives. We have got to get that into our heads. We have got to understand that. If we're going to treasure Jesus, we have got to understand at our core what the gospel really is. We're sinners. Like, do we take that seriously? Do we really believe that? We are sinners. I am a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. And because we're sinners, we have been separated from God. That is the bad news. But the bad news gets even worse because there's absolutely nothing that we can do to fix that problem. We just saw our goodness isn't good enough. If we were to keep on reading in this text right here, as Jesus is talking with his disciples, we'd find it's impossible for us. But the gospel is called good news for a reason. Because while we can't fix our problem, Jesus can. And so Jesus put on flesh and he came and lived a life that we couldn't live sinless, perfect, without any error, without any fault. And then he died in our place. They put him on that cross. He suffered in our place. They put him in a buried tomb, but he didn't stay there. On the third day, he rose in victory over sin and death. 
And so the good news is if, that we, if we will repent of our sin, if we will place our faith and trust in his finished work, it's done. There's nothing for us to add on. Like, stop trying to do it yourself. Just place your faith and trust in his finished work. If we'll do that, he will forgive our sin and he'll give us his righteousness. That's the good news of the gospel. But the good news gets even better because when he gives us his righteousness, we are reconciled to God. So that sin that used to separate us from God is gone. We're reconciled with God, which means we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. That's better news. And that's the point of wanting eternal life in the first place is that we can spend eternity with God. No sin whatsoever. Like, think about the absolute best things of life. Like, whatever your favorite thing is, whether it's a food or, or, or whatever, and then imagine what that's like without sin. Like, like perfectly cooked, medium rare, prime rib. Like, like I'm going to have that horseradish sauce there. I'm going to have that loaded baked potato with, like, the bacon. No cholesterol. No sin. Right? Like, like that's what we're talking about. I mean, I'm joking, but that's what it's about. Like all the good things about life here on earth without any of the bad, reconciled to God in Jesus's presence forever. That's what it's about. That's the gospel message. That's why we treasure Jesus. So let me ask you, do you treasure Jesus? Don't give me the church answer. Do you treasure Jesus? Or is he just a trinket you pull out on Sundays? Is he just something that that you use when you need him, when he's convenient? Who you follow matters. You're going to follow what you treasure. So do you treasure Jesus? Today, we're celebrating the fourth birthday of the Point Church, Alberta. And as we celebrate all that God has done, I think it's important for us to pause and to reflect, to do a little self-assessment to look at where we've been, at where we are now, where we're going, and ask each of us individually, who are you following? Listen, I'm all in. If, if the Lord allows, I am here for the next 20 or 30 years. As long as he allows me, like I'll be up here. I will be preaching with, a, with a, like a walker. Y'all will have to like support me up. Maybe Nathan's standing there holding up my arms, you know, like, but I'm all in. I'm all in if if God allows. But if we're going to do this, then we're going to do it right. We're going to follow Jesus. And I'm guessing that as we follow Jesus, that means that he's going to ask us to do some pretty big things. But that's okay. Because we love Jesus because he's our treasure. So we're not going to play games. We're not going to play church and just be content to, to have a Sunday gathering. Like, listen, this is not the win. Like, Sunday morning is not the win. Like, I'd rather have five people in here on a Sunday morning split between two services who are serious about discipleship, who are serious about following Jesus, who treasure Christ, who are willing to go out and live their faith out in their community, proclaiming the gospel to their neighbors, their workplace, their schools, wherever they're at. I'd rather have five people who are serious about it than a room that is packed to the gills. Because those five people will do so much more. So if we're going to do this, we're going to be serious about it. We're not going to play games anymore. So as we finish up our service today, I, I want to do things a little bit differently. 
if, if you're visiting, if this is your first time and this is weird to you, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I, that's a lie. I'm just not. But I, as I've been studying this all week, as, as I've been thinking about it, like, no kidding, my vacation, thank you, by the way, that was awesome. It was great to spend a week with the family up in the mountains. Um, but, but even as we were up there doing that, there's like this thing that was just kind of burring into me. Like, this is getting to me. I know I'm fired up today. But, but, but this is getting under my skin, and, and I feel like God's doing something on us. He's, he's doing some tweaking on us, and, and, and maybe we need to deal with that. So what I'm going to do, it's totally different. We're going to open up the altar up here. So I'm gonna, Nathan's going to come and sing in a minute, and, and as he does, I'm going to just invite you to come up here and pray. And, and listen, I, I get it. There's nothing sacred or holy about these steps right here. Like God can hear you when you pray in your seat down there. But there's something about just standing up and, and making a physical action to say, yes, God, this is something I need to deal with and I'm, I'm going to be serious about dealing with it. There's, there's something about physically moving your body that kind of represents a move in your heart. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to open up the altar up here. We'll have a couple of men up here. They'll stand on the side. If you have somebody that you want to pray with, like they'll be happy to pray with you. I'll pray with you. Or maybe you just need to come up here and, and do some business with God. You, you might want to ask yourself the questions, have I been playing games with church? You might want to ask yourself, is this for real? Am I, or am I just using Jesus when he's convenient? And if you find yourself saying, yeah, that, oh, that's where I'm at got good news for you. All you got to do is repent. God's not up in heaven looking down on us and thinking, man, he blew it again. He tried to follow me and he fell down. He's not. I've told you all before, it's, it's kind of like when our kids learn to walk. Right? They, they get up on their feet and they're wobbly and then they take like a step and then they fall flat on their face. And when that happens, none of us, not one of us is like, what's wrong with you? You're supposed to be walking. You're 12 months old. Come on, get it together. Oh, what do we do? Like, you're doing it. You are walking. Get up. Let's walk some more. I feel like that's what God's like with us. Like, we're, we start to follow him and then we, we just stumble and fall and and he's like, you're walking, you were doing it. Get up, repent, do it some more. So, so, so we're gonna open these altars up and, and, and if one person comes down, great. If nobody comes down, it'll be just me. I'm okay with that. But we're gonna take a moment and we're gonna be serious. Maybe there's some sin you need to confess. Maybe there's some seriously, you need to say, hey God, I, I haven't been doing this. I haven't been taking it right, but, but I want to now. Maybe you've never chosen to follow Jesus in the first place. And, and you could be, you know, eight years old or 105 years old. But right now, the Holy Spirit's calling you and saying, hey, come follow me. That's not Josh. It's not a great message or it's, it's the Holy Spirit wooing you in. And in, in this moment, I'd say there's no shame in that. Just come. Talk to one of my guys. Talk to me. We'll, we'll talk you through what you need to do. Nobody's going to think less of you if you come down here. Because the truth is, we're all sinners. We need a Savior. We need Jesus to be the treasure of our life. 
And so Nathan's going to sing in a second. And as he does, if y'all want to sing, sing, pray. If you want to pray there, but, but let me encourage you, get up and, and come down and pray. Let's be serious about the mission that Christ has given us to be the church in Alberta, Alabama. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.